Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things mental health and parenting. After you're done listening today, please rate, review, and subscribe. I am very, very excited to have on, she doesn't even know how excited I am to have her on, (laughs) Uh, Phyllis Bagel, who has worked in both public and private schools with students in grades K through 12. She currently works as the school counselor for Sheridan School in Washington, D.C., and provides therapy to children, teens, and adults in private practice. Phyllis is also a journalist and the author of Middle School Matters. She's a frequent contributor to the Washington Post and other major news outlets, focusing on counseling, parenting, and education. Welcome, Phyllis. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you, too. Yeah, this is great. You So why I say you don't know how excited I am to have you on is because I work with so many middle schoolers, And I love this book, Middle School Matters. It is so practical. It is chock full of great ideas for not just middle schoolers, but I think high schoolers as well. It's just a great parenting book in general. And um, I follow you on social media and I've been a big fan. And you're probably one of the first guests that I naturally didn't have some sort of connection that I really just like sort of cold emailed and just said, would you be on my podcast? And you said, yes. So I was very excited. I'm honored. Thank you. Let me let's share all this goodness of middle school matters with all of our listeners, because there's so much good stuff in here. So you start the book off by asking the question, what's the big deal about middle school? So let's start there. What is the big deal about middle school? I consider middle school the last best chance. And the reason I am such an enthusiastic proponent of really getting in there and parenting in the middle school years is because kids are so primed to absorb your values, to learn from you, to really shift how they do everything from choose friends to do their homework. They still very much care what their parents think. They're starting to pull away though. And by the time they get to high school, they're really a lot less interested in what you have to say. So it's a chance to really turn out a resilient, happy, well-adjusted, good decision maker, kid who can lead a balanced life. And it's just an opportunity we don't want to miss. And I think a lot of parents take a giant step back in these middle school years because the child isn't really signaling that they want their parent to be there with them or because they are not exactly looking forward to reliving the middle school years themselves through their kid. Yeah, I hear that a lot too, that people have these awful memories of their own about middle school. And um, that this just becomes a time where they just feel like, oh, like everybody's line is just like, oh, middle school is just so hard. This time is so hard. So like then you step back like, well, there's not much I can do. But do you think there are things that we can do to, to all those wonderful things you said, like still influence them, still help them with decision making? Like you still feel parents can be influential? Absolutely. I think they can be incredibly influential. And I think kids really need their coaching during these years because they're hard. Yes, they are messy. Yes, they are hard. There is so much going on internally, externally. They're changing in so many ways. And that is a lot to navigate. And to just suddenly pull back from this kid who one year earlier you were processing every detail of their day with them to suddenly just disengage is really unmooring for kids. Yeah, talk about that because you do open the book up kind of going through, I think, what's really helpful sort of brain neurological changes. I think it's good, like, what do you feel like the average parent needs to know about the brain development of a middle schooler? So they're 
prefrontal cortex is really still a work in progress, which means that they're often firing from the back of their brain, from their amygdala. I usually tell kids that their brain is like a light switch. You can't have that fight, flight, or freeze part of your brain firing at the same time as that thinking, rational, empathetic part of your brain that can think logically and make good choices. And so we need to give kids a lot of tools to get into their prefrontal cortex to help them be primed to make good decisions. And that can range from not having electronics in the room late at night to helping them think maybe a bit more critically about the kids they're hanging out with, as opposed to telling them who they can hang out with, which we no longer can do in middle school. But really taking a non-judgmental yet involved, curious interest in our kids' lives. Yeah, it's funny you say curious because sometimes when I'm working with parents, I say, I do a lot of acting. There's a lot of like, oh, really? (laughs) Tell me more about that. It's this like exaggerated version. That's how I think of it is I'm being genuine in what I'm asking about, but my curiosity, that reminds me to stay curious as opposed to like, if I don't think if I had that mindset, I think I might be more judgment like, well, what were you thinking? You know, there's like this difference of like, oh, tell me what you were thinking about versus what were you thinking? You know, <laughs> so have you ever thought of it as acting? Because that's sometimes I, how I think of it. I love that way of thinking about it. And I'm not sure I've, I've ever made that connection before, but I do think really carefully about the phrases that I use when I'm working with middle schoolers. And some of my favorites that I share with parents are, I'm wondering, or I've noticed, or uh, tell me more about, what was working for you in that situation, as opposed to exactly doing what you're talking about and saying, oh my God, what was going on in your head? How on earth could you have made that decision? Because the second that they sense judgment or criticism and middle schoolers get it wrong about 40% of the time and they never come to the conclusion that you are being overly positive or even neutral, they're always going to veer to that worst case scenario that their parent is in some way disappointed or judging them. We need to be so careful not to transmit that because they'll shut down. And that means our body language, our facial expressions, our word choices, all of that has to be in alignment because middle schoolers will sniff out inauthenticity in about a second. And the example that I like to use is if you tell your child that you don't care what grade they get on the test and all you want them to do is work hard and do the best they can, and you pick them up after school and they get in their car, in your car, and they tell you that they got a C, and you say, no problem, I know you worked really hard, only you wait a minute before you respond at all, all they're going to remember is that pause. And you might have been just pausing to look down at your odometer. You could have been looking to see who had just texted you, but they're so exquisitely sensitive and we need to be mindful of that. Yeah, I had a real situation just happen about an hour ago. And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to ask Phyllis how she would have dealt with this. So I currently have two middle schoolers. So it's interesting what's happening. Sometimes I just smile because I'm like, wait, I'm supposed to know what to do. But so um, we got report cards. And I noticed that in art, of all things, like, first of all, it's art. And second, my daughter is really good at art. And she has not a good grade. So I wanted to resist emailing her, but I didn't. And I still sent an email like, when you get home today, we need to discuss your art grade. This is not acceptable. (laughs) And then I hit send and I was like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. But how do you as a parent maybe 
get your own prefrontal cortex, you know, in check when there are so many things that can be alarming that happen in middle school? You know, I think one question to really pause and ask yourself is whose anxiety is this? And if it's really about your anxiety and you know that this is not, you know, a red light problem, you said she's good at art, this seemed, something seemed off with this grade, it's not the end of the world, but you clearly were triggered by this to the point that you felt you had to act. And I think just being mindful of maybe the sensations in our bodies or the connections we're making. And if it's our anxiety to pause and maybe process it with someone else before we try to process it with our child. And I think face-to-face probably is a little bit safer, but that can go wrong too. Some, some middle schoolers will disclose a lot more through text than they will talking face-to-face or even exchanging notes that you leave on the counter. And I think that you don't want to lie. Obviously, you were concerned about that grade, but I think we have to keep in mind that the kids themselves really want to do well. Nobody sets out to fail or to get a low grade. And I think starting with some empathy and saying, I'm guessing you were disappointed with that grade might get you farther than expressing disappointment from the get-go, which is probably going to lead to some shame and they might stop talking. Whereas if you can give them you know, a plausible excuse, you know, I'm guessing maybe that wasn't the most interesting class to you, or I'm wondering if that was at the end of the day, or I'm wondering what might have been going on that led to that class having a different outcome than some of your other classes, then you might be able to get to the point where you can problem solve with them and say, well, I wonder how I could help you. Would you be interested in brainstorming how we might be able to uh, raise that grade in that class if that's something you're interested in? We want them to be motivated to do it themselves, which typically they are. Yeah, a lot, a lot of great nuggets in what you just said. I mean, a lot, you know, the pausing, they want to do well. It doesn't feel good to them not doing well. Um, Lots of good nuggets in there. I'm curious what you think about as you're parenting a middle schooler, when I've had a lot of parents say this to me, like when we talk to them about whatever it might be, they came home too late. They're on their phone too much. You found them, you know, an inappropriate post on social media, whatever all the common issues are. A lot of parents will say to me, you know, when I was their age, I was scared of my parents. They're not scared of us. And, and, the, and people ask me, don't you think a healthy dose of fear is good? And I'm, I'm always a little torn because actually my gut says, yes, I think there should be some healthy dose of, of fear, but, but not, but then I don't know where the line goes. And I'm just super curious what you think about that. So I think we should have clear boundaries and we should prioritize safety. That should really be number one. Um, and things like how we, how they treat other people and honesty, you know, all of the values that are important to us. And I often think about the metaphor Ken Ginsberg. He's a pediatrician at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia uses. It's a puzzle metaphor. And so what he says is the edges of that puzzle represent the boundaries we're creating for our kids. That's safety. And kids really do understand if your concern or if your rules come from a place of wanting to make sure that they're okay, that nothing happens to them, that they're not in harm's way. But all the other stuff in the middle of that puzzle, all those irregular middle pieces, that would include school, even grades. It would include extracurricular activities, the choices they make in friends. That's where we really want to take a step back and let our kids make mistakes, 
regroup, fail a little bit, figure out what works for them. They're going to figure out that if they don't study ever, they're probably not going to get a good grade. And then they might pause and think about what they need to do differently. And middle school is such a low stakes time to learn a lot of those skills. It's a, it's a perfect time to allow them that experimentation. Gotcha. So you're not really answering my fear question, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big proponent of fear. I would say consistency, uh, respect, uh, consequences that are very calmly shared. So you would ahead of time, let them know what the consequences are for not obeying curfew, let's say. And it might be that they didn't demonstrate that they could be responsible and you were worried. And so therefore you're not going to give them as much freedom to go where they want to go for as long as they want to be. And that's a consequence, you know, a logical consequence for breaking that rule. But what you don't want is to be screaming at them when it happens. You want it to be, you want to be able to be so consistent that you can just say, as you know, because of X, the consequence is Y and just stick to it, not negotiate, but be really firm. And so that way it's still respectful. Everything is clearly articulated what you need from them. They're going to make mistakes anyway. And when they do, we want to make sure we give them a runway back to being a good kid. Because remember that prefrontal cortex I was talking about that they don't really have fully formed yet. That means they're going to experience what I would call interference. They're going to want to do something because it's the cool kids or they're going to be curious and they're going to take a risk that they don't realize does put them in harm's way or they're not going to want to admit that they don't know what they're doing and so they might be tempted to cheat or they might impulsively decide to vape in the bathroom with that girl they like. Could be any number of things. And when that happens, if we're really overreactive and we instill fear and we have a lot of drama involved in the way we interact with them, they're not going to come to us when they're in trouble. And the story that I share in one of my articles, and it didn't make it into Middle School Matters because it happened after the book came out, it had to do with a friend of my daughter's. And when she was in middle school, she changed schools. And she went from a school where she had been since kindergarten through sixth grade. And then in and then she came to a new middle school, the one that my daughter attended. And when she got there, she felt really adrift. She wasn't yet part of a group of kids. And she didn't feel really attached to the kids at her old school. Part of the reason she had left is because some of them had been unkind. And one of the kids from the old school invited her to a dance that involved lots of different schools. And because she was in that in-between place, where she was feeling adrift, she decided to go, even though she had kind of outgrown those friends. And she met them at the dance. And when they were at this dance, there was a girl across the room. And one of these friends of hers, the old friends, started snickering. And a few of them started talking about how the girl across the room was wearing a dress that looked like a rug or looked like curtains. And she started to feel really uncomfortable because she had been that target when she had been at that school and she felt really vulnerable and it just kind of made her feel very melancholy. And she went home and she was sobbing alone in her room and her parents tried to talk to her and she really wouldn't open up. But after about an hour, she came into their room and she climbed into bed between them in middle school. She was still in her dress and her heels and her makeup. And as she cried to her mother, her mother 
uh, tried to reassure her. And it was my daughter's friend who told me this story. And she said, my mom didn't make me feel silly for feeling so upset about something that maybe she thought was kind of minor. Instead, she told me that she had been through something similar and she really made me feel heard. And the reason that story is so significant is because a few years later, she had a major episode of depression and was suicidal. And she says that the reason she went to her parents for help was because of the way they reacted to a small problem when she was in middle school. And so if we start from a place of fear and we don't have that trust, then we might miss an opportunity to help our kids when they really, really need it. Yeah, I think that's such a great story. And I I realized that as you were talking um, and even before the story was unfolding that I think when people say like the people I'm thinking of that say, you know, I had this fear of my parents. I really actually think what they mean is respect. And I think, you know, it was like, I just wouldn't have dared to do that. It wasn't, they're not like traumatic stories. They're just like, well, I just would never have talked to my mother that way. Or I would never have crossed my father that way. And I actually think it's because they had respect and the respect likely came from the consistency that they had. You know, this is just, these are the rules of our house. If you break them, this will happen versus maybe now we have a lot more of a tendency, I think, as a generation of parents to be flexible and negotiating and parenting out of fear, you know, of all of our concerns of everything we hear from vaping to social media. So I think maybe like, as you were talking, it was formulating my head like, oh, I think that the reason why kids may seem like they don't respect us. So, you know, some parents so much sometimes is really because the lack of consistency is there. And so then it makes it harder to to know, well, what is going to happen? Well, let me test what's going to happen. I think that's right. And I think we can't really discount the impact of the pandemic, too. I think parenting right now is super hard because you might have had really firm rules in place around social media or even refrain from giving your sixth grader a phone. But suddenly everybody is thrown into this complete state of disruption and everybody needs a phone in order to stay in touch with their friends. And there was a lot of inconsistency. There was a lot of what do I need to do to make sure my kid is okay, that they're socially connected. And so that has led to a situation right now where it's really hard to pull back. It's really hard to find that solid ground to figure out what our rules are, what our priorities are. And I think it's a good time to reassess and to sit down with our kids and to talk about what is critical to us. Maybe it's that you always know where they are. So you're not worried about that or that you can reach them. Maybe it's that you have access to all of their passwords and you're spot checking their social media, not to shame them, but to help them if they make a mistake. So just really thinking again in a new way about what those rules are, and also what our kids need, because I think all of that also has been thrown into disarray. Yeah, so good. In your book, you list 10 key skills that you think kids need to thrive in middle school and beyond. And you kind of break them down into social ones and emotional ones, and then logistical ones. Can you talk about each of the categories and kind of how you formulated this and, and what's all in there? So there are 10 skills that I think are critical to turning out a middle schooler who can not only manage the stressors of high school and navigate all the ups and downs of middle school, but also be equipped to thrive during the rest of their lives to make good friend choices. If you can make good friend choices now, you're probably more 
uh, primed to make good relationship choices when you're an adult or to leave a job with an abusive boss. So that would be an example of one of those social skills, making good friend choices. And middle school is really hard because if you ask middle schoolers, and this is what the research shows, to name their best friend, only about half of those people that they name are going to reciprocate that nomination. If you look at friendships from the fall to spring of sixth grade, only a third of those friendships remain consistent. And if you follow middle schoolers from seventh grade to 12th grade, only 1% of the friendships last that entire time. And I always share those statistics with kids because I want them to know it's not because there's something inherently wrong with them. They're not lacking in some way is that every single person is getting rejected because this is when you're doing the work of figuring out what you need from a friend and what you can give to a friend. And that's important work. We can't do that work for our kids. An example of uh, an emotional skill would be self-regulating emotions. And middle schoolers are pretty bad at labeling what they're feeling. And they're often quick to suppress a feeling if it's associated with some sense of shame, like a, a feeling like jealousy or anger might make them uncomfortable. And we really want to be teaching our kids to label those feelings. We can reflect what we're seeing. We think they're feeling, give them some language around that, not only so that we can strip the shame from feelings. We want them to know that feelings are involuntary. There's no such thing as a shameful feeling, but that they can control how they behave. So once we can label what they're feeling, we can do two things. We can figure out what they need in order to feel better. So if the feeling that they identify is that they're lonely, well, then maybe they need to make plans with a friend or reach out to someone new. If they can identify that they're stressed because they don't understand the math homework, maybe they need to get extra help from a teacher or call a friend. And we also have an opportunity once we can identify the feeling to say it's totally okay to feel that way, but here's what you don't wanna do. You don't wanna, in that moment where you're really feeling competitive or angry, that's not a good time to get on social media or to send that text and say what you really think and put it in writing you know, for posterity. That is some, that's a really nice nugget there to really say, I love that feelings are involuntary and to separate that out from the behavior. You know, you can have this feeling, but you don't need to act in this way to express it. I'm here to help you with that. Exactly. And then the third part of that that you asked about was the logistical skill. And I actually think some of the skills fall into more than one category, but the one that comes to mind has to do with managing a student-teacher mismatch. And I bring that one up because kids are so insecure and vulnerable in middle school and they so often think that a teacher is mad at them or doesn't like them or maybe they were sullen in a single interaction and they just have been carrying that with them for weeks. So if we hear that our child thinks a teacher doesn't like them or if they reverse it and say they hate the teacher, we really want to be encouraging them to not only use it as a learning opportunity, we want them to figure out how to interact with different personalities as opposed to just saying, well, let's see if we can get you a new teacher to say, well, what do you think this teacher needs from you in order to make this relationship work? But also to really encourage them to go in or to have lunch with the teacher, get to know them, because that usually is the solution to those mismatches. Yeah, I like that. And such a common issue. That's great advice. You really are uh, totally filled with great advice um, in the book and just talking to you. I'd love to end today by saying that the way your book ends is with a chapter that's titled Moving Forward. 
And I loved these practical scenarios and tips that you gave. So if there is a parent that's listening right now and maybe they're feeling, you know, really guilty or they're feeling like time's running out, they're stressed, right? And you kind of started it by saying this is one of the, one of these last big chances. Um, what would you say to them? I think one of the ways that I can reassure them is to point out that I know for myself and I have a middle schooler too. I have one last middle schooler in my house. I don't remember anyone teaching me any of this stuff when I was in middle school myself. And a lot of it I'm learning at the same time as my middle school child is learning these skills. It's really never too late to impart those skills and to learn them alongside your child and to say, listen, I wish I had done this sooner, but I'm realizing it might be helpful for you to do X, Y, or Z. Middle school is a metaphor for life. The same things that you need to get through middle school, you also need to deal with a difficult work situation or to get through high school. And parents are always, always critical to their child's well-being. And the key thing is just to be a consistent, loving presence. I love that. And easier said than done, right? For a lot of us, but um, super hopeful. Well, any last parting words that you have? Any any last tip or words of wisdom you didn't get to that you're like, oh, wait, I have to say that? Really enjoy these years. And I say this as a parent of three kids, two, two are now in college and one is in middle school. And even during the hardest moments, even when you are just at each other's throats or you're feeling like you're at your wit's end or you didn't handle something as well as you might have liked, or your kid tells you they hate you, you know, there's a lot of high drama in middle school. All of that is really just a reflection of the fact that the relationship is so important. And no matter what is going on, just stay in there and try to enjoy it because it is a magical time. I think middle schoolers are the funniest humans on the planet. And if you doubt me, ask them to tell you a funny story or to tell you a joke. They love to make adults laugh. And we do need to stop and remember to have some fun with them too. watch a funny movie, do something fun, especially right now when life is a little bit hard. I, I agree. I love middle schoolers. I think that they um, I think you kind of talked about this uh, in your book, but they are funny. They don't take themselves as seriously as the high schoolers and they're part kid and part growing up. And it's a it's a good, fun, hot mess. I, I uh, love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. The book, again, is Middle School Matters, The 10 Key Skills Kids Need to Thrive in Middle School and Beyond and How Parents Can Help. And I know that's available everywhere. Where can people follow and find you? I do have a website. It's phyllisfagel.com. And I'm most active on Twitter at pfagel. Uh, and I'm on other social media sites as well. But I would say I post most often on Twitter. Yeah. And you're super funny on Twitter because a lot of times you're sharing um, you know, the cute stories from, from the kids through the day. So I know I appreciate that. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Phyllis, for coming on and for answering my email. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. And thank you so much.